pregnancy stigma is very real. I think it depends on the community that a young person is growing up in, in some families, you know, pregnancy is unacceptable. Hello, and welcome to Cocoa Pods, Maternal Mortality Reduction Academy. This is a feature of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. We are recording live from the rural city of Forsyth, Georgia. My name is Dr. Bola Sagadi. I'm a board-certified obstetrician, gynecologist, minimally invasive robotic gynecologic surgeon, and a proponent for natural child delivery. We are fortunate to have with us today Dr. Elise Berland, MD, MPH. Most teenagers do have healthy pregnancies and healthy babies. However, one of the risks that we didn't talk about is that, you know, having a pregnancy can interrupt an adolescent's education. So we know that that's one of the risks of um, pregnancy. So for young people who are going to continue their pregnancy, I think it's really important to think about making sure they are able to continue their education and their vocational goals. Thank you. You know, so as you have just discussed the option most pregnant teenagers choose to do when they become pregnant, that makes me think of some additional questions. Mm -hmm. Like what are the potential health concerns that we should be mindful of for this teenager who is expecting? What are the clinical risks? And number two, you did mention some of the unique challenges to the adolescent parent you know, like interruption of vocation or of schooling education. What are both the health concerns and the other life concerns that Mm -hmm. a pregnant teenager should be aware of? Yeah. So in terms of the kind of health risks of a pregnancy, a young person who is healthy, who doesn't have chronic medical conditions, is unlikely to face serious health problems during her pregnancy. The issues become more concerning for young people who do have chronic health conditions. So for young people who um, have, for example, diabetes or maybe pre-diabetic, those conditions can worsen and then threaten the health of the pregnancy. For example, young people who have chronic conditions like lupus or cardiac conditions, you know, those conditions may worsen, for example, during a pregnancy. And it's very important for young people who have chronic medical conditions and a pregnancy to be in medical care, which is going to include prenatal care, as well as attention to those other, what we call in medicine, comorbidities or other health conditions that are known to impact a pregnancy. I will also like to say that there are some health behaviors that we know are harmful to a pregnancy, and we would counsel our young people to be, you know, avoiding them. So we know that cigarette smoking is quite harmful to a pregnancy and the exposures that we're concerned about, that is a serious one. We also know that alcohol use is actually very harmful to a pregnancy. So when I'm counseling a young person who's pregnant, I really do let them know how important it is to kind of stop those activities for the health of their pregnancy and if they're continuing the pregnancy for their baby. 
Now, even as an OBGYN, I know there are some conditions that are more common in the extremes of the reproductive age. So young people are more prone to have like preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at times, you know, depending on their height and their physical attributes compared to that of the father of the baby, their pelvis might not be developed enough for a vaginal delivery and they might end up with a C-section. So there's some things that young people are more prone to have, right? You are right with that. The The way we think about that is a, it is around the extremes of age. So very young adolescents may have these problems as well as, you know, women and people who are, who are significantly older. What I remember for myself, though, is that those tend to be also very rare. So, you know, pregnant 12, 13 year olds, when their body is still kind of maturing and going through puberty, fortunately are rare. They do happen. You know, we know that, but they are rare. And then most um, adolescents who have pregnancies are actually 18, 19 years old. So, and those young people, their bodies should be generally, if they're healthy, able to tolerate a pregnancy. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, state side. Well, before we go to that, we talked about the other non-clinical challenges like yeah. school. And, you know, there used to be stigmatization, you know, like, oh, the other girls laughing at you at school. I don't know if that's a thing now, you know. I think it is. I think, you know, we think about the holistic view of a person's life. And we've talked about school already. And we know that a pregnancy can interrupt school. We know that in the United States as well as in the world. And pregnancy stigma is very real. I think it depends on the community that a young person is growing up in. In some families, you know, pregnancy is unacceptable and that young person may face homelessness, may require to leave the family, which poses a tremendous risk and threat to that young person. And there are other communities that are are more supportive and accepting around pregnant young people. So I think as we understand that there certainly is bias against pregnant young people, and what they need from us, from healthcare professionals, is support and care. And so um, kind of back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, our job is to help them navigate these choices. You know, you, I think, had asked about, you know, capacity to make decisions. And so we really do understand that young people can make decisions about their reproductive health. And probably that capacity is emerging around age 14 is kind of what we're getting from our behavioral developmental specialists in the research. But, you know, young people Ideally, with the support of family, caregivers, parents who are going to help them make the best decision for them, really can make these decisions. Wow, thank you. You know, stateside, there's a whole messy mix of inequalities that could throw this young mom to be some serious curveballs, adding extra hurdles. And let's be real slapping on an extra layer of stigma as we started to talk about. We need to tackle these disparities head on. So what are all the factors really at play here when a pregnant teenager is stigmatized? Um, You know? Yeah. You know, this is certainly a really very big question and really gets at to 
some of the profound inequalities that we have in our society in the United States right now. And, you know, the reality for many people, many adolescents who face an unexpected pregnancy is that they're already among the least advantaged people that we have in our communities. Often young people who are pregnant are facing housing insecurity already. They may be living in poverty. They may be more likely to live in a a rural area without good access to healthcare. So in many instances, young people who are pregnant are really facing layers of barriers and disparities that exist not in the healthcare space, but in the world that they live in. Well, thank you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about these disparities when it comes to the care available, including abortion care. But I want to um, just talk about, you talked about options for the teenager's baby. You talked about kinship care, and I think you talked about foster care. You talked about kinship care. How are these two models of care different so that the teenager can really understand their options? If they cannot take care of the baby themselves, their options such as kinship care and foster care, how are these models of care different? I think the main path for care, if a teenager identifies that they are not able to parent is adoption. And again, that's a really kind of formalized agreement. Foster care in most circumstances is generally not something one chooses, but is an agreement with kind of the state or agencies that provides alternative guardians and support for the baby. In Many instances, foster care is temporary and the young person is able to kind of continue and move towards a parent role. Kinship care is a a less, it's less formal than adoption. And it really would involve kind of an agreement with other adults that are important in that young person's life to be present and responsible at varying degrees for the baby. However, I think it's important to say like that the baby does need a guardian. So at the end of the day, there needs to be a name that's going to be the guardian and the caregiver for the baby. There are a couple ways to do it with adoption being the most common formalized way and probably kinship care being available, but probably less well explored formally. Thank you. So we've determined that a lot of teenagers do not give up their newborn for adoption. A lot of teenagers do not give up their newborn for adoption. They choose to keep their newborn and parent their newborn. But, you know, at the inception of the pregnancy, some teenagers may just want this problem of being pregnant to be silently gone. Poof. So let's talk about abortion. Access to it and the legality of it. First, teenagers may have various questions about abortion, you know, especially because it's a complex and a very sensitive topic. So, Dr. Byland, can you help us navigate 
answers to some of the common questions a teenager might want to know about abortion. They might want to know, for instance, how is an abortion performed? Is it painful? What are the different types of abortion? Can I get an abortion without my parents knowing? How much does an abortion cost? Are there any age restrictions to getting an abortion? Are there other alternatives to actually getting an abortion? So can you help us navigate some of the questions, maybe some of the teenagers that you've managed have posed about this topic? Yeah. Yes, I have had patients ask me all of these questions. I think these are the types of questions that are really appropriate for healthcare providers to talk with their patients about. You know, and the the type of answers that we provide as healthcare providers may be more detailed than a parent or another type of important adult in a young person's life. But I think all of us adults who care for young people have the capacity to help teenagers understand what their choices are. So I'll try to make my answers to these as straightforward as possible. But then for the healthcare providers who are on the call or who are listening, you know, really looking at resources from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, as well as American Academy of Pediatricians, there is some information available around kind of the descriptives and the kind of more detailing in the procedures. But what I tell people is in terms of abortion, there are two kinds of abortion. There is medication abortion and there is procedural abortion. Both types of abortion are safe and both are effective. And adolescents can access both types of abortion. And we'll talk about the legality a little bit later on, but those are generally the options for people. Medication abortion refers to taking medication that's going to terminate the pregnancy. And there are two different regimens that are available. And generally what happens is a person who's pregnant takes several doses of either one medicine or two medicines, and that effectively leads to cramping and bleeding, and then the pregnancy is passed. Generally, that is done in a home setting under the supervision of a healthcare provider like a physician or a nurse practitioner. So that is medication abortion. Medication abortion can be accessed from a healthcare provider's office. It can be accessed through telehealth visits, depending on where a person lives. And it can also be accessed by mail. So people can reach out to providers or to agencies who then will mail the pills to people. Procedural abortion is something that's done in an office setting or even in a hospital or surgical environment. And these procedures are used to terminate a pregnancy in the office setting. And generally, these are generally done as a office visit where the patient walks in and they walk out. They may receive a little bit of sedation or medicine to help with the pain. And depending on how far they are along in the pregnancy will determine kind of what kind of procedure is used for a procedural abortion. I do want to let people know that in terms of the medical risks, all of these types of abortion are actually safer than a pregnancy. So we, we have very solid evidence around the safety as well as the effectiveness of abortion. All right, painfulness. So I mentioned that for office-based procedures, generally some type of pain control is offered. For people who are doing medication abortion, 
then generally there may be some pain as the pregnancy is passed and the healthcare providers who are providing that service will talk to people about what their options are for pain control during a medication abortion. Let's see, can a young person get an abortion without apparent permission? Now that is gonna depend on state law. So I'll share some resources with folks at the end of the podcast around how to kind of check that it's going to depend on the state that a young person's living in, whether they can access without parental permission or guardian permission. There is an option called a judicial bypass procedure. Just to let people know, most states do have options who have legalized abortion for young people, if they are not able to get permission or consent from their parents, then that what that means is the young person can petition the court where they live for a judge essentially to allow them to have the abortion. So that's called judicial bypass procedure. Will that take a long time? I mean, you know. You know what that is? Um, so a lot of times young people are not aware of this. A lot of times even the court system is not super well prepared to handle this. And the timing of it is a little bit of a question mark, but, but it really may be an option. And I have had patients who've, who've had a judicial bypass and been able to have an abortion. Let's see, how much does an abortion cost? It depends on the type of abortion that you get uh, or that a person gets. So, um, but fortunately that is the kind of information as a person is advancing in their counseling and if they're considering abortion, that information, you can find that out. So I do think the best way to find out how much an abortion is going to cost is probably to reach out to an online resource or even reach out to the center that's providing the abortion. There are abortion funds that can help young people pay for an abortion and for the costs around getting an abortion. And I'll share that information with you at the end of our talk. Um, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, okay. Are there bad things that could happen to a teenager down the line because she's had an abortion? Like what are the potential risks and side effects? And at times she might even ask me, a provider, how will it affect me emotionally, spiritually, and physically? Can I still have children in the future if I have an abortion now? How do I talk to my partner or my parents about considering an abortion? So these are real life questions, actually, that young patients have asked me in the yeah. course of my career. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to, I think I've said a couple of times, abortion is healthcare and abortion is actually safer than having a pregnancy. So if a person is able to access abortion care, there are certainly some very small risks that a patient will be counseled about as they are considering an abortion. But broadly speaking, there are not risks that affect a future fertility. There are not risks around cancer in the future. And what we do know about abortion is that people who want an abortion, who are able to have an abortion, actually have less emotional distress. They have less mental health problems and their families appear to do better financially and educationally. <laughs>